Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight, we're going to continue our series, Breaking the Stigma for Mental Health Awareness Month. And tonight, we are talking about substance abuse and its crossover with mental health conditions. We have a special guest tonight, so we'll do some introductions and then introduce her. So tonight, I have Kim. Hello. Jen. Hello. Rachel. Hi. Jamie. Hi. And I'm Tabitha. And then our special guest tonight is Mary Pierce, who is from Boston, Massachusetts, and also happens to be Kim McIsaac's sister. So she's going to talk to us tonight about her experience in this field, and we're going to get into some of the details of substance abuse disorder and um, recovery and different topics on that. So Mary, if you want to just do an introduction for our listeners on your background and you know your work in this area, that'd be great. Hey, well, I'm Mary. And I actually currently work in the substance abuse and mental health field. So we got co-occurring disorders. I've also worked in inpatient and in the community too. So I've worked in like different facets of both mental health and substance abuse. I just got my certification for a peer specialist. I don't know if you're familiar with it. The term most people are familiar with is recovery coach for uh, substance abuse. So this is more specified to working with people with co-occurring disorders. And not only that is not a clinical role, which most of the time that's like when you're seeking these services, they use kind of a clinical base model. And this is uh, kind of newer. You have to have the lived experience piece to get certified for this. So if we follow our own model, which is peer to peer to try to be on that same level to like identify and also teach, use your lived experience to teach the companies like that you work for or, or the agencies, things that they might not really understand or that, that they learn in the books that you wouldn't really know unless you lived it yourself. Mary, that um, is so cool. What a calling. It yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah. I like the one-to-one level for you have that connection with that person opposed to it being so clinical. I think that's a, I think that makes a really big difference. It, it makes a huge difference. Like even things like that, I wouldn't realize doing this training and learning that stuff and utilizing it. It's, it's very different, but it comes with its own deficits and it's very hard to work in organizations that are completely clinical and to be non-clinical, you know, and it's very new. So like it's, it has basically the same principles as a recovery coach, but there's just some things that are like a little, you know, different. But. And so a clinical role would be like someone who's a therapist or, um, you know, an addictions counselor or a licensed person who does therapy. Yeah, I think they call it evidence-based models. Yes. I don't know if they still, and this is, we call it person-centered. So it's about before, if you need a certain level of services, there were things, everything was done for you. Decisions were done for you. This is where you would go. This is the person can be involved in their own treatment. So this helps the peer side and the clinical side come together. Also lets them learn to be not called interdependent. Yeah. Making their own choices. Yeah. Yeah. So how can we get them there? So it's kind of hard to just throw someone in the community. Right. And then just go, well, let's see what happens. Cause there's many different pieces. So for here, we have the department of mental health use like a triage team. When the person is ready, you you know, you go through the different steps, just like in substance abuse. And when you get to the step where normally you'd probably stay in like a group home or somewhere where like you'd have like one-to-ones or 
depending on the age, need like a guardian or a foster family. So there's like the whole thing where there's like a housing side, the peer side, substance abuse side, family partners, sometimes like if you have kids. So there's all these moving pieces. And then also if they have mass health, they have, we call them care coordinators. I don't know, basically to make sure that I was actually thinking about this when I was listening to the the last episode, because basically they're that person that pulls all these services so that conversations are being had. So I work very closely with them because like I can kind of push it along on this side and they can kind of case manage it. So yeah, it's very cool. They were kind of rolling this out. I remember like when I was in treatment and I was like, didn't really like understand it, but it's, it almost seems like if there's two people doing one job because it's new. It's kind of like, can be confusing even for the people that we serve or like the people that are working because they feel like we're all doing the same job, but it's not. Their job is to make sure even we're doing our job, which is yeah, good. That's a good checks and balances. Yeah. I didn't even know this stuff existed, honestly. It's really huge in Western Mass. It's like like slower, slowly coming out here, but now the pandemic hit and it's kind of like, just like everything else. I don't know, free for all, I guess. Yeah. Well, and they use that model a lot in drug court and family treatment court and mm-hmm. DUI court where it's more of a, a treatment team model where, yes. and they do have peer support people in those, uh, a lot of those drug courts. I'm just like waiting for the day that like, Cause I, that's like how I got clean was through drug, drug court. And I was in that same courthouse for years and years and years. And on this one, like ridiculous thing. And I remember they said, what was the difference? I was literally two doors down, you know? Also I became a mom in that at that same time, but the difference was I've never had anyone say, well, all right, this is what we expect for you. This is what's going to happen to you. Like, yeah, it's more of like a, so our justice system is more like a punishment-based system. Like yes. you do something wrong, you get punished. You go to jail, mm-hmm. you get probation, you have to check in with someone. It's not really like, let's change you as a person. And Yeah, like drug court was not like, oh, yes, you got drug court. Like everyone's like, do not take it. It's a setup. It's yeah. not for opening yourself. Like yeah. I was like, t- I was supposed to get mental health court. And yeah. then they switched it up on me. And I was like, so mad. I was like, this will be a cakewalk. And like, plus like, I struggle. I've always struggled with the mental health side because once you're classified for substance abuse, that's it. Yeah. Maybe you're lucky to get dual diagnosis somewhere, but. And it's it's usually severe. Like if you're dual diagnosis, it's usually something that has like hallucinations or, you know, Mm -hmm. some kind of major mental health break of some kind in order to get that. And then when you get in those places, the substance abuse piece kind of tapers off. Right. It's not paired together. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, and I never realized even having gone through it myself, how, because there's this like ongoing thing of which do you treat first? Yeah. Mm. And meaning mental health or the addiction. Mm-hmm. Does I mean? Yeah. What came first, the chicken or the egg? But right. my problem is if someone is using to the point where they're overdosing, right? Obviously their life is literally on the line. So like, I understand that, but it's one of these things like you see out there, the provider world where mental health tells you this about substance abuse and then we like pass the buck around and then it's just so frustrating I mean what are we doing like yeah well sometimes when you're coming off certain drugs too you can have mental health issues that are presenting such as like yeah so so. withdrawal that's what they'll always say post-acute withdrawal post so if you're someone that was using I think my last run was like five years or something 
So it can be as long as it took to get there. That's what they'll tell you. But that's for recovery. Sober. What I'm going to wait yeah. five years to see. Chances are, like my mental health is not going to. But I didn't know that. I just knew there's different models in you know sobriety to this AA, this NA, this CA, this GA. Like there's all all different. I don't know what any of that means. What is it? So she's talking about Alcoholic Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. Oh, um, like the so like. Group just based. like with mental health, they'll have like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. There, there's all different ways. To, it just depends on like the preference of what you do. But a lot of courts, if you're in trouble from substance abuse, they court order you to do a, a even on pretrial probation, which you're right innocent until proven guilty. But like it's not for everybody either. Yeah, doesn't work for everybody. AA is not the the choice. Like sometimes you need therapy, sometimes you need to deal with your trauma, or you need to deal with your childhood not, experiences. Especially yeah, if it's not your choice and someone's telling you you have well, to do it. Right. Well, and who decides I need mental health court over drug court? Right. It doesn't sound like that's your choice to make. It sounds like you got assigned a certain this or a certain that or whatever. That's hard. It's very hard. It's weird because before it was like lack of knowledge and lack of treatment and lack of people. I was like blown away when I started this last job. I was so proud. I was like, I can't believe we're here. This Mm. is like, I'm so excited, but Mm -hmm. just as fast as it's like coming in, it's falling apart. And it can be so frustrating because I have like a fire, like sets a fire in my soul, but you're also fighting an uphill battle. Try as they might, like I, I would take that battle, like, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And that's, can be a really good thing, but that's a very high burnout too. Yeah. But they don't even know what they're having you do. So now I'm being forced to work a clinical job for insurance and billing and, and to keep these things going. And I will say it like appropriately though, but like, would you ask a lawyer, a nurse to go against their ethics? Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's like people are going through the program as they're developing it. And so it's like, this That's works. Tough stuff. Yeah, this mm-hmm. works, but it, it doesn't work. He, or this person needs double the services or less services, but we're really just putting a model on every single person. You know, you right. have to do this class. You have to do this treatment. You have to do meet with this provider and then but, you check, check it off. But also, you know, back to what I said before is they're making, like Mary said, who chooses like what she needs to, to, to go through. Right. So they don't get a choice in it, which I think I mean, back to what she said about, the one-on-one peer with account what she's doing now. It's your, you know, you're, you're and on the you same have level. Advocating with you. Advocate, yes. Awesome about that. Right beside mm-hmm. you, opposed to someone telling you. Because at the you, same time, I wasn't very good at making my own choices at, at that point in time. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no yeah. and that's, I mean, that's just a fact. And that's with, with everyone. I mean, you're not, obviously you're not thinking clearly. So, yeah. but again, you're also, I'm combative on a good day. nobody's gonna tell me what where I'm gonna go there's all exactly so there's like these push and pulls but I I just think sometimes when some of us if you back us into a corner you don't get the result that you think you're gonna get yeah yeah Mary's not like that at all not at all (laughs) (laughs) baloney Mary will you talk will you talk a little bit about drug club because I'm sure a lot of people listening don't know what that is um Kind of so, what that uh, looked like. I, so a lot of drug courts are run differently too. Ours yeah. was not technically, what do they call it? Called Ips court at one point. So they hadn't gone through the red tape of our, the last drug court uh, judge had left. But the basic idea was instead of you're getting like charges on your record and you're starting to pick up jail time and that affects your life in all different ways, especially if it's solely 
around your drug problem. Yes. And then they would give you a chance to come out before they used to do it from this, like, from what I knew, this like step down program. So say you were in jail, then you would wait for a program and then you would step down from the halfway house to the three quarter house or sober house. And then you would have these different either classes or to kind of like tape, you know, wean you back into society. Cause that, that is a really hard part too, especially you become institutionalized in jail. Same with programs. You learn how to live in these places as crazy as that sounds, especially men, but once you hit the streets, like you have someone telling you when to pee and how to yeah. pee yeah. and to pee in a cup yeah, in front of me, <laughs> like when to eat, you're right for a dog. In a sober house, are you, how are you monitored in when you leave, when you choose, or I guess get fortunate enough to those programs over jail, at, which is the drug court, right? So they, they'll they want you like, to do like the, the stricter like. one. There's, yeah. there's ones that are like a little easier. There's like, um, they're called like uh, 12, you know, AA base houses. And they like to have you do a working house, which means like you kind of go in and work on yourself for whatever. 30. 90 days. Yeah. 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 And then you go on job search. The working houses, they kind of get you out in the community a little faster, which I never really understood. But a lot of times you're, you could be in jail doing a drug pro- program or at a holding for, especially women. Some We would sit sometimes five months in a holding because there was one to every seven male beds. And I think when I first started, it was one to every nine, one woman's bed for every nine male beds. So at that point, you might be ready to like hit the street. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it just depends on like how like the movement is like before you could just keep going to detoxes. Like you had to go. If you didn't complete, you had to wait so long if you had mass health to go back. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jamie. Mass health is like your Medicaid in Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Government insurance, whatever the state provides. So when you are thinking of these treatment programs, so you have inpatient treatment, which is like a 90 day program, depending on what your insurance, 30 to 90 days, your insurance can pay it. Like in our state, we, we don't order people to inpatient treatment. You can choose to go to inpatient treatment as a term of your probation, like to satisfy your requirement for treatment. Yeah. So you can do inpatient. Yeah. For well, drug probation. Yeah. For probation. If you get just straight, take a charge and then they want you to do treatment, then you can do inpatient or outpatient treatment through a third-party provider, which is usually paid for by insurance. If you're doing drug court, family treatment court, or DUI court, it's essentially a program where you do treatment, but you also check in with the court one time a week. And as you are testing clean and your program is going on, you go less. You phase out, yeah. So we have like the drug court, so what was cool about when I did it is like, you didn't have to, I was programmed out by that point. Like I didn't want to sit in like another holding and do, cause I knew I learned how to live like that. It was like, once I was in the real world was the problem. Yeah. You know, like being um, in a treatment, you already knew how that goes. Really. Yeah, you I, needed skills to like be in yeah, a I real life in that. Well, and what I needed was my mental health acknowledged and then to do that because then there's this thing where you get your mental health right and they start giving you meds that aren't conducive to your sobriety yeah so Mm -hmm. as much as it goes hand in hand there's all these different moving pieces so it's really hard because I have the substance abuse side tell me like that I'm on the wrong meds for every single thing that I'm on because of the stigmas around the meds which is like coming from a good place and I understand that but also I have medication anxiety I'm an overanalyzer 
I'm bipolar. So like everything is like very extreme with me. So, I mean, I suffered for years with some of my diagnoses, mm-hmm. not even acknowledging them, never mind the medication part and all the pieces that go with it to finally be able to do it and be okay with it and not worry like what people think for then someone to turn around and tell me that like I'm med seeking or like I'm on the wrong, you know, it's just, they're just not in sync on that part, but there are, we know pharmaceutical companies and doctors that don't go by the book and are making money off like uh, suffering. Yeah. Well, and it's too, I'm sure hard when you've been sober for a period of time, a long period of time, and then you go to try and treat your mental health and people are looking at you as if you're just actively using or getting off drugs for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Seeking. When I go to the doctors still, I, I mean, you can ask my sister. I mean, I I think it was like last year I was on the phone with her one day and she's like, I just wish you could leave one appointment and not be in tears. Yeah. And then that made me cry more. Like, no. because like, he's the one that has to deal with it. But it's like, <laughs> have you ever seen the Denzel Washington? That's the Kleenex, Kimmy. <laughs> yeah. The Denzel What's Washington. The John Q. I always say that's like, literally like, have you seen it? Mm-mm. He like holds up the hospital to like. The best movie. Oh, oh my God. It's such a first son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, this is- like, uh, it's going to be a John Q situation in here because like, <laughs> it's like literally the only way like I'm going to get my blood pressure taken. And they're like, oh, what? You think you have this, this or that? And it's like, no, I just want to be acknowledged because usually it's like one program or one entity is telling me to come here and I need the paperwork and they're like, you know, yeah. whatever. It just makes it so hard. A lot of places have come a long way, but what happens is these smaller places get too big for their britches and then they start treating you the way that they used to treat you. It's just. Yeah. Which is so hard, especially when you're trying to manage your sobriety and your mental health and you're seeking help and you're saying, Hey, help me. And then they're treating you as if you're, you know, and I have like the side where like, I've seen things myself in with, you know, the people I'm supporting. And I just think it triggers something so deep in me. You know, I've had clients that, you know, are no longer here. You know, there's a piece when you have the lived experience and you go through something like that, you know, there's obviously like a grieving process and all that, you know, you don't want to blame yourself, but then really there's just so much irresponsibility with the providers and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, that system, it just sets a fire in me that I I, I can't explain it sometimes. Sometimes I'm even like, sit down, Mary, just like calm down. You can actually (laughs) Google Pierce fire. Yeah. Well, (laughs) It, well, and I think like, what happens is you have, you, you have these people and these providers that are working in this field that are passionate and want to help people, yeah, you know, yes. they come in all joey eyed and even they can't untangle, you know, we've had so many conversations with people through the years. They are trying on their end, but there's no, you're not connecting with the next person. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. it's so you know? hard. I feel like that is the same as the struggle that we have, like without, mm-hmm. within any spectrum yeah. Whether it's in the name or not, like there's a spectrum of mental health and severity mm-hmm. and prioritizing that within an addiction or whatever. Like it's, we've so had I, great providers for my daughter and they only can provide a certain amount before they have to pass it to another desk or refer yes. out. And it's so broken. You have nobody to pass to. Yeah. Just going to say, and with addiction, you're going from one stigma that's already there to right. another stigma because then there's people that feel like it's all choice-based you know they're not as compassionate they're not as understanding I mean I remember my tax call- dollars are paying for this or that like it just I remember like- calling and I would call um, detoxes to try to get people in and 
I would have to pretend to be that said person because you can't have somebody else call for you. But said people weren't up to make the phone calls. So said person is me. In case <laughs> yeah. Well, you sometimes your boyfriend, whatever. Sometimes but I could not believe I cannot believe the way the people acted. So I'm like, yeah. of course it's me. It's not her. Yeah. So it's I like, used to say, I'm gonna be the person on the other side of that phone because it's unreal. The way, like, they literally hang up on you. I mean, this is a person. Well, it, it was me, but it was, this is, you know, it was. You were representing a, of, a person. Somebody a that lot was of, desperate for help. But a lot of times she did the same thing, you know, in they they say call back at five. Like, you know, you're talking about someone who's probably crawling to the phone to make that call in the way that oh, people I love on that. the other like, side. Get up and call you. at 6 a.m. But even when you do, they're like, call back at three. And then they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have anything until tomorrow yeah that is whatever but it's the way they act they act like you're like such a burden on them it's like hello this is your job have a little well that's the thing you're talking about with stigma if you don't have personal experience with mental health if you don't have personal experience with addiction autism anything in that category you cannot understand especially with addiction I feel that someone is making a choice to harm themselves and the people around them when it's not really, that's not the scenario. It's not a basic choice. And accountability is a part of addiction. So I think that's a little bit harder because in order to really support someone with their addiction, you have to have these boundaries. You weren't telling me that uh, 10 years ago though. (laughs) Like they're brainwashing you. No, (laughs) don't say no to me ever. (laughs) but like you're in that selfishness or whatever but it is true sometimes you're not thinking obviously not of sound mind but like once you get through the physical part obviously yeah to keep this there's like multiple things like you know they say in order to keep it you need to give it away which I'm a firm believer in and even if it's something little even if it's just like making someone smile that's like struggling or it can just be like so small but it kind of keeps that gratitude keeps it up front you know, because yeah. you can forget. Well, like, when you're coming out of that cloud of addiction and you're coming out of like years of use and her- harming people and hurting people around you, you're not only coming out of a physical addiction, but you're also coming out with all this baggage of things that you feel guilty for and things that you oh, yeah. want to change and that you can't go back and undo. And you have to unpack that as like healing for yourself but also for the people around you who you've actually harmed and who need to trust you again so it's very complicated and um, not not everybody has the same reaction you're probably trying to deal with all those that and those emotions and your old coping mechanism was probably to use and now you can't use so that adds on to everything that you probably haven't had to deal with that stuff in a while because you haven't been dealing with it sober well right and it's just like then that's what's good to have like these support communities and that's why when you have all that and that's all fine and well and that's great but if if you had someone that had a a sponsor that their belief was to you know put a year of sobriety together and then you kind of go through these you know the 12 steps which is in them is making amends and all that and you're doing that without this support like Mm -hmm. I mean you have like meetings and stuff but look at now every most of the things are shut down not even and if you're like me I'm like a very good mask wearer I have been since I was a kid some of my friends I can I can like feel it. Like, what, what is it? Like, what, you know what I mean? You hear it in their voice or whatever. It's the same way like you do with with supporting each other with whatever's going on with the kids or the providers or, or, you know, just everyday life, same type of thing. 
Yeah. But it's hard when you are, I'm good at being like the helper. I'm not good at being the helpy. So yeah, <laughs> sometimes. So that's where it's like good to have someone hold me accountable, which I, I don't like it at the time. I hated every single person that did that. And they should probably still on my resentment lists. But like, <laughs> Except for your big you know sister. I mean? Because like, you also have the mindset of like a 15 year old at, at us. I was not, I was just at a dorm for like, you know, whatever. A yeah. Year. And now like you come home and it's re- it's real lifetime. I was thinking back to when you're talking about when people do get out of like these programs or they get out of prison. And then, I mean, I know people who have left prison and it's hard acclimating to life in general, because yes, you're told when to pee, you're told when to eat, you're told when, and then on top of that, you're an addict. So you're going back to where you were probably using, you're going back to that environment, to those friends, to those people. So like managing both those things in general would be so hard, but coming out of those things cannot be easy because you're just going. Well, and then that's where like the mental health stuff is triggered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then there's like this kind of like pink cloud, you know, because you haven't laughed in three years and like do you know what I'm saying? You have eaten more than a piece of candy for like your meals. Like, you know, like all these little things you're, you're grateful for. You're not walking around being like ashamed and embarrassed and like all that. You're getting positive reinforced, all, all this like great stuff. Right. And you're coming up on your 24 hour chip, like your 30 days, your 60 days, your 90 days, your 120 days, six months, nine months, a year. And that's always for me when like, it would be like my six, nine or my year. And then it was like my 24 hour chip, my 30 day chip. Cause like it just gets hotter and hotter. You also lose sight of, I think a little bit of that freshness, like you're living your life, you're grinding, you're working, you're doing the things that are hard. Like at the beginning, you're unpacking your sobriety. And so you're trying to stay sober. And then as it goes over time, you're gaining all of these things that are hard for adults to deal with, like dealing with a crappy boss or, you know, paying your rent or, you know, all these things that aren't there. you like I, I remember like a be, being at the house I, I went to the same program twice like almost back to back and uh, I came in and there's like girls are on the other side of the house they call it the senior wing so it's like when you're working getting your privileges getting ready to leave we have a house meeting every day and it's supposed to be like wrap up like gratitude and they're like I don't know who le-, whatever they left like a tampon in the in the toilet or on the toilet I don't know because I like lost it like 30 seconds later and I was like some people don't have the privilege of like you know, mommy, meanwhile, here's my sister driving like 60 miles to bring me a coffee, but I'm grateful for it. <laughs> but it's just like, they're like putting down people that some, some people just came from jail. Some people live under a bridge. They don't have, they literally don't have those skills. It like, oh, oh my God, like it made me so mad because when I was in the house the first time, like that stuff didn't happen. And it's like, who are you? You're homeless too. Like <laughs> we're all here together. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, that's mean. Maybe you like, now you're embarrassing someone who probably thinks everyone knows. And if it's one of these girls that just came from, you know, now they're going back to jail for two years because they probably think everyone, do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. that's like my, my, I'm better than thinking because at the same time, that's someone that's finally like, has like a little like pep in their step, just like the power. The yeah. power. Yeah. Well, I think what's difficult is that you go from these programs that are very structured and yeah. have a lot of, you know, peer support and there's, accountability and then everything's great and then from there you just transition sometimes to a sober house sometimes to home sometimes it's not a sober house and then they lose all that structure I think it's very hard even like our kids if you think about it not comparing necessarily our kids but I'm just saying like when they have structure it's like they're able to do so well 
But then you take that structure away, you'll see a lot of the regression comes back. You know, it's just, you know. And there's also different stages, I find. At a certain point, yeah, the programs will keep you clean, like, while you're in them. But there's this line that you cross in using and in recovery. Because, like, I used to be like, oh, you know, I lit it on fire. Like, it's gone. Like, what? whatever. Like, my life is over. You know, very dramatic. It's always, like, a big <laughs> to-do. But... That, that feels real. That's part of my mental health, too, um, and part of being the youngest of seven. Yeah, the youngest of seven. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's good when you, like, first start using where it's very dangerous to, like, keep going the way that you're going. Because, like, this, this is a whole different life. And the way it happened with us, we've got these meds, like, in our cabinets. And, like, we don't know that we're about to, like, be the onset of the, the opioid epidemic. Like, we don't even know what this is. It was very hush Like, you didn't hear about, like you know, heroin then. Like, it was very like, ooh, there's those bad people. Like, get your kids, get your bet. Basically, like, <laughs> what we were about, about to... No, really, like, because, like, it was so, like, it was so taboo. Yeah. So taboo. Get you know, like, oh, do you know about that family? You know, get your bags. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, literally, like... It's like the zombie apocalypse. Bring the kids inside, like, Get off the stoop. Get off the stoop. Here they come. Here they come. I I would like to circle back to drug court because one of the things that I was very impressed by is the fact that this was the first time consistently I saw her treated as a person. Yeah. Holler. And And not as an addict and not as somebody who was the girlfriend of a criminal or whatever the stigma attached to her at the time would be. These people knew who every client was. Yep. They came into court and they asked. And they said to me that day one for my intake, I met with someone that was going to be my drug court counselor. I remember him saying like, you know, what are your goals for your, for your mental health for, you know, they're starting to see like, there's all these moving pieces. And then him and the other probation officer said, what would you like from us? Mm. Oh, and I'm like, what? You're like, who are you talking to? Lunch. (laughs) I mean, lunch. Like, like, yeah. like, bring lunch. me a fancy coffee over here <laughs> my sister drive that 60 miles my regular po he had been around for like years and like he, he had a like reputation to lock everyone up and he was like really mean and like he hated men which well and i'll say sitting on the other side of drug court teams and treatment family treatment teams so drug court and family treatment court have high high success rates oh yeah for sobriety if they have it for getting their your kids back because it builds a community that you all come mm-hmm. in together and you're meeting with each other each week. You're learning about each other's families. You're yeah, building it, a community. It's amazing. And you didn't see that, especially the beginning. Of this. So the other drug court judge, she went and stayed where they sectioned the girls to. Like she didn't sleep there, but she wanted to know how much, how many lights are on, who is protecting them, who is like, she went there at like 3 a.m. to see not just pop-up visit the judges coming during the day, she went there the times that people wouldn't think to go there. She went to a training at a hospital as if she was a new employee to see how much they talk about substance yeah. abuse. And that's, that's the thing so with cool. the people that are in the treat drug court system is the on the treatment side of it, generally there's a meeting about each client before you actually go into court. And so you're like, with the addictions counselor, you're with the attorneys, you're with the judge, you're sitting at a table all together, talking about these clients with the probation officer, this is what they're doing well, this is the things that are not going great, this is how many times they've tested dirty, and or they I didn't have their that. visits, like they, yeah, it's great. They would do like a mini version of it yes. in court, Yeah, and it was like, for the first time, not being like her again, or, or whatever, or they're just trying to get to the boyfriend, or 
whatnot, like you're hearing these positive things. They always say, if you're honest, like we won't lock you up. Yeah. Lie. So it's like, uh, not true. <laughs> and not everybody, but it's just, yeah. And that's the thing. If you have a rapport with your PO, but like when you come at us like that, like, I mean, I've seen that they're just like, go in on you like and it's like why do I want to turn around and like probation officers you mean yeah like like you regular regular probation yeah 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 I would I will say that I have been with clients from beginning to end with drug court or treatment court and sometimes like at their graduation the people that are there are the people who went through drug court people supporting them who are there doing the graduations with them and that's their new support their attorneys I've seen clients that I never thought would make it through and then you're there a year later and they're graduating from drug court and it's like a whole experience and they do a celebration and they bring we didn't have graduations yet but they invited me back for mine for like one of the first ones they did probably because I was like I was still sober at the time and they really invited me back because they wanted me to speak but they're like we didn't tell you because we knew you wouldn't (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we knew you wouldn't go. Yeah. But our judge was oh, he was great. He was like following like an another judge and he's actually our what are the first chief justice, so it's called. Yeah. Presiding, like a presiding judge over. Yeah, yeah. Court. So yeah. He like does like two of the drug courts. And he would like go to bat for us because the probation would be like, but they broke the rules and he'd be like, Well, didn't we kind of fail them? We're not doing that. And he said it one day enough rope to hang yourself that's not how I operate my courtroom like he would like go in it was just like so awesome just like watching like their magic and like just all different stuff and um but man like there's a we lost you know one of the girls I was in OCC with and like you could just see like the devastation Will you explain but that's what OCC you- is here so OCC is like the day treatment part instead of going to like a program you could either just go three days a week five days a week or like say you messed up and went had to go sit back in jail then they'll pull you out on the ankle bracelet and you'll go like the more days and then you kind of phase down from that the same way you phase down from drug court it's kind of like like a treatment program yeah day treatment inpatient or outpatient treatment I learned more from that than like most of the inpatient places I was ever in Mm -hmm. and just having that like camaraderie and like that yeah and it's it's different than when you're living places because that's a whole lot of drama and like a whole lot of different layers it's kind of like you're forced yeah. to like you know what I mean now we're doing stuff outside we're doing it because we want to like no one's making us whatever. we have like, like a community service component they could help you get your GED they give you bus passes resources to get places gift cards when you do well mm-hmm. prizes you know celebrating you as a person and also punishing you if you don't do well <laughs> it's like a but their immediate like how yes. drug court used to be it used to be so like if you fail the drug court then you would do at least 18 months because drug court was 18 months right. this is very different and I liked how this one especially was run I know that they're all different but like I would like to see more like this a restorative justice where you're trying to change people instead of punishing them for their choices you're trying to help them not come back into the system and you're, you're teaching them because again yeah. we piggyback like you don't know what you don't know Right. And yes, you can start to use that as an excuse. Well, I didn't know. Like, like I get it. There's, there's two sides of it. But it's like, you have to really know the people that you're working. When you start seeing people as a number, caseload and a docket number, you start to lose that. And I know like, it's stressful. You get desensitized. I'm sure you have your days, but it's like, you just gotta, yeah. you know. Well, and I do think even if you're in that state, like for me, even if I'm feeling overwhelmed and or if I'm feeling like burned out, if I have a person in front of me who is saying to me I'm struggling 
these are the things I'm trying to do, then I'm like, okay, let's figure out some resources for you. Or let's, you know, here's some places that I know you can get in detox tomorrow. My lawyer came up to see me when I was in Framingham. And I think she kind of concocted to like push me over to like the drug court side. Probably. I love it. I got bailed out and um, I called her and I said, she said, well, do you, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'm just scared if I wait, because like, I know how my mind works. I said, I'm just going to tell on myself because if I use today or tomorrow, my system will be clean by Monday because mm-hmm. you hit the weekend. Drug tested. Yeah. Drug she tested. came, she drove to where I was and came and got me and brought me into the courthouse. Like, so nothing could happen at the end of the day. Like the first person to like was the attorney. So I have such a hard time when I see attorneys like, well, you're like, literally like, you're just a liar. If you don't believe in your client, don't work for them. Like, I don't get it. Well, do you think just to kind of wrap up our um, addiction and mental health piece, do you think there's certain things that help versus harm? Like, what's the best thing that you've seen dealing with these type of clients or experience wise that is the most helpful for people? obviously depends what you're dealing with, but I really think for me from like, with my experience with like drug court, all that, just good experiences that I've had, whether it's like me working, whatever is identifying. Like I've had a lot of people I worked with say to me, like, no one's ever said that. And it will be either like, it's okay. I'm sorry. Cause no one apologizes when they make a mistake. Yeah. One of them was uh, 11 years in the program and no one had ever said like, Oh, sorry. That was my fault. 11 years. Or like sometimes it's as little as saying like, I know it sucks. Yeah. Like empathy, validating empathy for someone. Yes. It it just, instead of like, okay, we'll do this or, you know, you could be dead. Yeah. Okay. But like we, you guys talk about that too. Like everyone's situation could be worse. Like there's a time and a place. Also it gets hard with substance abuse and mental health because like I said, accountability is a big piece with the substance side with mental health. Like you can't, utilize that the same you know what I'm saying which is kind of contradictory because it's supposed to be this but there's it's just different principles help it at different stages so yeah but I I really I tell people would tell people all the time like I'm no sober not stupid you know when someone doesn't care you might not say anything we're actually especially co-occurring disorders and I find like with you know because you get this persona of like criminals and like big bad like addicts and like whatever the, the picture you think of and like they're just like the most genuine, like kind hearted. Cause a, a lot of us, we start doing this because we're treating our mental health ourselves. Yeah, we're self-medicating. Mm-hmm. So we can understand for many of us, like there's not a lot we wouldn't do to like make someone's day a little bit better because we know that hell, that, mm-hmm. that prison, like you, we, you don't even have to be in prison because it's your own prison. So if you can like kind of help, I've seen like the most amazing amends or like you know, just kind of these full circle things. And, and I just think the process is like incredible. It's just being able to make it that far. And it makes me so sad when people tap out or we lose people before they, they get that. They chance. get the chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They like just giving people a chance. That's all. Yeah. But like I said, of all the people, it was a lawyer. A lawyer is who ultimately, you know what I mean? That that was her. Yeah. The, Framingham's very far from where we live. And she drove up there twice and then drove and came and picked me up and talked about accountability. She, she was like, she actually remi- reminds me like of Tabitha. She felt it. I could tell. I knew that she believed in me. 
God, well, that is just the most moving part about a relationship that gets to shift with you. Or like when somebody believes in you before you believe in yourself, mm-hmm. I think it can really change a person. I say because of my sister, people out there don't even know the full story. Like, it, and this is like, I was in the height of everything. And she's like, you know, got from my parents and she's got this anxiety that no one, everyone's just figuring out, but they think it's probably because I'm like missing or where whatever's going on. I'm sure that didn't help hers, but like, this is before all of this, like opiate awareness, you know, this mm-hmm. is poor Kim. <laughs> all these things are like before her time. And like, she wouldn't, <laughs> I know, she what wouldn't the hell? believe that. <laughs> like, she, you get the first of everything, Kim and <laughs> yeah. Like they have all these supports, but they didn't have that then. But she was, this is when people were like, well, you gotta throw them on the street. You gotta, and she was like, no, like, this is not my sister. And like, come hell or high water. I want to know like why, like every appointment, but, but why does this happen? And how does this happen? And she would like, watch it. She would drive through half of mass, which they can say it's enabling. I say it's like behavior modification to bring me a coffee, <laughs> you know, whatever. I'm she ABA'd your ass. When like <laughs> no one else, it's like crazy, like thinking about it now because no one knew this stuff. And yeah. I think that's what made the difference for me, honestly. Well, and I really truly believe in, in my for whole sisters pause. yeah yeah but yeah. that's more than a sister because I, I i've got six siblings yeah that's like she wasn't taking no for an answer so weird right <laughs> well i i really truly believe that every day of your life you have an opportunity to affect someone and we oh. trickle in a pond every single day no matter what, you have an opportunity to change someone's perspective or their life by one simple sentence. And I know that someone did that for me absolutely many times in my life where they said one thing and it changed my whole trajectory of where my life was going and where it was heading. So I think that no matter what, you have an opportunity to do that every single day. So that <laughs> will leave a little spark wherever you go. Yes. I you just have to say it. that... Um... I'm so proud of my sister. You know, she's mm. coming up on six years in August. Yay. I'm very proud of her. And I'm also proud of her for giving back because that is not as easy as it seems because, you know, she went and worked at a detox and I mean, she would get messages, calls, parents would be calling her, thanking her. Like she was the receptionist. <laughs> they would be calling, dropping things off Kathy. of her. Is that what Rachel called her in the last episode? Yeah, yeah. Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when the Kathy is better on the phone than the doctor. Behind. Yes. And, you know, and then going to work with mental health and addiction clients, like it's, it can be a very taxing thing you know when you're a vulnerable person yourself so I think that it is part of the model to give back and to help people just like what we kind of do here with you know being moms and you know strength share the numbers strength mm-hmm. the numbers that's right you know I'm proud of her for that and and she thrives in that I love that Mary you are amazing we're so grateful for you both we really are telling your story join us next time for our no reservations episode we'll just be cutting free after the serious uh four episodes and hopefully have some fun for the fifth one so check us out for that thanks everybody thank you Bye. bye bye thank you for joining us at the table for episode four of our third series breaking the stigma if you feel you need help involving substance abuse and or mental health please contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP, 
1-800-662-4357. If you are enjoying our podcast and wherever you're listening allows, please remember to rate and review us. To join in on the conversation, make sure to follow us at facebook.com slash table for five podcasts. Episode five with no reservations is coming soon. Join us as we cut loose for our final episode of this series. We'll see you then.